Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you in part by Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply. Supplying everyone from roofing contractors to home builders and everything in between. And GAF, Roofing, Shingles, and Materials. We protect what matters most. And welcome to another action-packed, exciting edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. My name is Eric Smith. Across from me, the lovely, the talented Donnie Blanchard, General Contractor. Welcome back to the show that you started, Donnie. (laughs) Good to be here, as always, sir. It is. Now, we have a very special guest today, and I, I'm just going to tease it, but it, stay near your radio. We have J-Lo on the show today, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a few minutes. But uh, weather-wise, this time of year, Donnie, April's a, a beautiful month because it's signifying spring, and things are growing, and colors, and leaves, and you feel optimistic, but then storms. Yeah. They seem to roll through every few days. We get these thunderstorms that come across from the west and go out east, and wreak damage and right. sometimes we get hail and and other things and then a certain type of person comes out of the woodwork yeah. and this is like our psa of the day we like to talk about right yeah storm chasers are a real thing and um fortunately they they've retreated to other areas that are a lot more hail prone like texas and areas out in the midwest but we have dodged a bullet the last couple of years we've had a shingle shortage so thank god we haven't had a big hail storm that would draw those folks but uh, i have also gotten a few calls that uh, they've gotten their door knocked on, and, and the person at the door said, hey, you have storm damage. Your neighbor had storm damage. You should file a claim. And I just wanted to put a warning out there that if they have a 1-800 number and they're from out of state, you just want to ignore those folks. Don't let them get on your roof. They could do long-term damage to uh, your ability to get homeowner's insurance. So if they file a claim and there is no damage, in fact, then that claim history is going to follow you for the rest of your life, no matter how many times you change insurance companies. And it definitely has an effect on your premium. So get a local roofer, get somebody with a good reputation to take a look at it. And if you do, in fact, have storm damage, you definitely want to verify that first. And when it comes to roofs, you should be able to get a free opinion, like from Suretop Roofing. There you go. Great example of that. All right, Donnie, you were also talking about as COVID hit back a couple of years ago, lumber prices went nuts. Mm-hmm. And then they went down and then they went up. and right. And now... They're going down again, trending, but you have some great news about yes. lumber. The board foot pricing is what everybody's watching online, and uh, I've got a couple of homeowners who watch this daily because they, they work in an office, and uh, you know we haven't gotten to the framing stage of their house yet, so uh, they really uh, stand in the gain, or I'm sorry, save a lot of money if these uh, prices continue to trend down. And board foot pricing has a tier system called support levels, meaning like that they think that it will stabilize at this number. Mm -hmm. Right now, the next support level is at $766 a board foot. And currently, I think we got below 800 just barely, and it went back up above 800 Mm -hmm. today. So, uh, But it is trending down. And once it hits that $766 mark, the next support level is 536. So they are expecting it to drop like it's hot. We should expect it to stabilize between that five and six hundred dollars per board foot. And just to put that in perspective, a month and a half ago, we were almost up above fourteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. per board foot. Uh, and so, you know, and just I guess about a week ago, it was at twelve hundred dollars a board foot. So it's really dropping aggressively. And that's going to uh, this particular homeowner is building a, a one million dollar house. And so. Uh, this could save him upwards of sixty to eighty thousand dollars. Do you think that's because supply is catching up, or do you think it's interest interest rate, or do we know the interest rate has to have something to do with it? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I locked. I had three houses who really hit this sweet spot to build in. They locked in at three point two five just about a month ago. Three different homeowners, and uh, they were able to lock in there. And just uh, four weeks later, we're up to five point two five. And we talked about on a past show that uh, the the easy math here is. For every point that it goes up, it adds about $20,000 per 100000 So on this million-dollar home, locking in at 3.25 is going to save him $400,000 roughly 
over the course of a 30-year mortgage. Wow. That shows you the effect that interest rates have on your life and building. A great topic today we're going to talk about, but this ties into trades in general Mm -hmm. and any of the trades you want to tease. I wanted to say that we're going to do a series uh, featuring all the tradespeople, and I'm going to try to go in order uh, as if they were to be on the job site. But we started about a month or so ago on a show was titled "So You Think You Want to Get Into Construction," mm-hmm. and then we followed that up with uh, which construction jobs are in the highest demand and which pay the best. And then right. we followed that up with a recent show on, on labor shortages. And when I say we got more downloads, more shares than we've gotten in a long time, the people really liked what we put out there. So it gave me the idea. I said. Well, if they want to know more about construction, let's give it to them. Then let's introduce our guest. I can't believe you scored this, but <laughs> Donnie managed to get J-Lo on the show. Yeah, and that's not a joke. So uh, <laughs> we've been joking about this for years. And uh, But today I brought in the owner of Carolina Cornerstone Surveying. Uh, his name is J-Lo. Uh, and I guess when J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez was more popular, you know, we, we got a lot more teasing in. And uh, now everybody's just kind of used to it. But uh, Jay, I really appreciate your time and welcome to the show, man. Thanks. We're glad to be here and excited about sharing what we do. You ready for a trivia question? Sure. When did surveying start? Well, the word is it's the second oldest profession in the world. (laughs) I mean, second to sheep herding. (laughs) (laughs) I looked this up because I thought it'd be interesting. 1400 B.C. Hmm. Egyptians. Yes. They use ropes to gauge the dimensions of land and property Mm -hmm. for the purpose of what? Taxing. Hmm. Oh, no. Even 1400 B.C., the Egyptians were taxed. There was before 1400 B.C., but they were using it to make property tax. Wow. So that's why surveying was invented. It's not because we want to have accurate maps. Let's not lie. (laughs) Somebody wants to take money from you because you own a little bit of land. I didn't mean to throw you off there, Jay, and it's not a criticism of you as a person, but let's face it, (laughs) surveying is about gathering money. It has been for a couple thousand years. Makes sense. But um, how did you get into surveying? Right. I um, grew up in rural Alamance County. My dad always had me outdoors, uh, whether it be working in the garden or or gathering wood, Mm -hmm. uh, firewood for winter stuff. Right. So through that, he gave me, ingrained in me and made me enjoy being outdoors. So from my love of being outdoors and then as I grew, I enjoyed showing my age. As I was growing, we started getting home computers and I enjoyed working on computers or more so playing on computers. Yeah, of course. you know, I started out with Commodore 64 years ago. So the combination of those, I thought, well, I would enjoy a career in computer science possibly. So I uh, graduated and uh, signed up for college to a uh, degree in computer science. And by the second semester, I realized that programming was not for me. <laughs> At the time, uh, through Alamance County there, they were doing the widening of Highway 85 and Highway 40 interstates. And, um, and then there was also tons of infrastructure being completed then and my dad pointed out to me you know how much engineering was involved yeah in 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 that part of that construction so that kind of intrigued my mind well he also and my wife reminded me my beautiful wife almost 29 years now very good at the time she was my girlfriend she remembers my dad we were in the living room and he, he came and handed me a newspaper article about the civil engineering program at guilford technical community college so I read that, and uh, it really intrigued me. So little did I know how much that would affect my future, but that's where it led me to. So I went to Guilford Tech and have an associate's degree in civil engineering and surveying. And after taking both courses, I just realized how much more I liked surveying part of it because it gave me the opportunity to not only be outdoors working, but there was office work that had to be completed mm-hmm. too. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. Graduated from there, I started working with a local private company 
And uh, at that company, we did more boundary type surveying, development, subdivisions. Mm-hmm. So I learned that that part of it. And then after working there for five or six years, I, I went to North Carolina Department of Transportation. And there we did more construction type surveying as far as laying out the new road construction and highways. So there I learned the construction side of surveying. Mm-hmm. So, so by working at the two individual places, I was able to learn both styles of surveying and get the knowledge of both fields and be well-rounded. Right. So while I was at DOT, I decided to obtain my license. I did, and I began my business in 2000. The rest is history. The rest right. is history. Do you, right. do you primarily do residential now? I know you do that for me, but do you still step, step no, into the commercial? No, actually, we have a, we have a good uh, blend of construction staking, yes. Right. Yeah. I know I've only thrown residential at you, so I, I, we've never talked about that, right. but that makes sense. Um, can you walk us through what would be involved with the typical survey? Sure. It depends on the type of survey that, okay. the, that the client calls and requests. For a residential survey, someone that's just wanting to know where their boundary is, we first we get their parcel information, mm-hmm. parcel ID number, address, things like that. We take that information and then we go to the register of deeds and we'll obtain all the deeds for their property or any previous resor- recorded surveys of mm-hmm. that, that parcel. And not only do we get it for that parcel, but we obtain it for all the surrounding parcels also. Okay. So that I can compare my client's deed with the adjoining deed to verify that there's no boundary disputes or overlaps or gores or anything that would create an issue because my number one job is protecting the safety and welfare of the public. So although my client is paying me, I want to protect his neighbor also and right. not create any issues between them. A lot of times the public do not realize that. You know, we're not out here to, we're going to steal an inch or two of your land if mm-hmm. we can. Um, our job is to protect not only our client, but, but the adjoiners as well. For commercial or construction projects, at first we'll obtain prints from the architect or the civil engineer that's designed the site, and we take that information, prepare the job where we can go onto the job site, put in the stakes and points for the grading contractor to know where the curb and gutter is located. Mm-hmm. We stake the building corners out so that the general contractor will be able to build his building pad, make sure the building's square and everything. Right. And that also involves giving them an elevation of where the floor elevation should be or how deep this pipe should be underground. I think it's funny when I go by and I see where you've staked out, you know, it's a wooden stake in there with a flag on it usually, and you've got some numbers on there, and that tells them how low to go. But they'll excavate the whole site, and then you've got these three, four-foot, you know, <laughs> uh, mounds of dirt with the right. stake in there that they don't touch until the very end. But uh, it kind of looks funny, and I never knew what that was for until you showed me that. Yeah, that's exactly what it's for. Sometimes we call them bullseyes right. because the dozer guys like to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take care of them. Oh, yeah. Really well. But, and the reason you see the mounds is because in our contract, we have a restaking charge that's pretty hefty. So oh. sometimes they do whatever they have to do to protect that Leave state. that mound. Yeah. <laughs> so that's for commercial and uh, construction. And then we've mentioned, you know, laying out for new residential home constructions mm-hmm. where we have to go out and we put the point. We first we verify that the house is within the setback. And then we will uh, stake the house corners so that the footing guy can come in and dig dig and pour the footings. Once mm-hmm. he's poured the footings, we come back and put those points again on the footing so that the brick mason can roll right in behind mm-hmm. there and start laying the foundation. So we do a lot of that. How do you do So when I send you an electronic copy of a plan, can you take that PDF and you just put it into a software and it will put the, it'll plot the points or do you have to manually draw that perimeter and put those peers in? So sometimes I, I can take a PDF. If I get a PDF, then I manually have to input the dimensions of that house, and then I can assign a point to each Got corner it. that I want to put okay. in the field. Sometimes I'm able to get the actual CAD drawing that mm-hmm. the architect drew, 
and I can use his drawing. Oh, yeah. And eliminate me having to input the information. Right. And, I, you know, I verify that his corners are square and everything. Right. But then we can just assign points and go straight gotcha. out to the field. So the DWG file from CAD is better than the PDF. It is. Yeah, got it. I'll try to keep that in mind. I didn't realize that. All right, this is the Carolina Contractor Show, and our guest today is uh, Surveyor J. Lowe of Carolina Cornerstone. And here's the thing I want to know. When I was a kid, I that's when I noticed surveyors. You saw these guys on the side of the road, and they had their tripod, and he's looking through this little itty-bitty camera, and then you see some guy way across the field holding a weird stick. And how has that changed? Because you're not having to use the same technology as even 20 years ago, right? You're exactly right. In the early 90s when we began, the man would be standing there behind the tripod with the instrument on top of it. And, yeah, our joke was when everybody come by, we'd say, take a picture of me. And it's like, <laughs> we would just play with them, say, sure, smile, yeah. you know. You know, actually what you're doing when you're looking through, it's almost like looking through the scope of a gun and you've got crosshairs. Uh, you just line those crosshairs up on whatever item you're wanting to locate or point that you're wanting to put in the ground. Right. But that instrument, you would have the scope that you would look through, but you also had another viewer within, on the instrument that you would look through, had a dial on it with the degree. Okay. So you you could turn to what you were wanting to locate, and then you look through the other viewpoint to get your angle, and you had to write down that angle in a field book. You'd take that field book back to the office, and the office guys would have to manually input that on their maps and draw it by hand and wow. do a lot of calculation. Nowadays, everything's automated. So it went from that to instruments that you still had to manually operate, but it would shoot a distance. It would tell you the distance. And you had a data collector connected to it, and it would record all that dis- uh, oh, nice. data into the yeah. data collector. And we'd take that into the office, and he'd just look it to the computer, and it would just transfer, transfer it right to the yeah. computer into the AutoCAD program. And then you would just begin calculating and drawing there. And we still do that today. We still have a data collector and transfer it to the computer. But the processing part of it is just so much, much easier. And now um, in the mid-2000s, uh, uh, robotic instruments came into place and mm-hmm. we jumped on that when it first started when that began the job that was taking a minimum of three people to do all of a sudden one person can do it all we still use those today we have a robotic instrument and then 2010 or so we started incorporating gps we can use the two together or independently and gps is just basically triangulating off of the satellites right and it's very very accurate that's what we're using now. We have a, a robotic instrument, and we have a GPS system that we use. And recently, we have incorporated uh, drone surveying. Yeah, because Donnie uh, uses a drone yeah. uh, for looking at rooftops and stuff. Yeah. And his, I don't know if yours do in the surveying business, his has guided missiles on it. Yeah, <laughs> flamethrower as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, I was going to ask you, you were talking about the robotics. Um, sort of like big screen TVs are so much cheaper. Have, I know when we talked, when you first got that, what, 10, 12 years ago, um, have the prices come down on that? My first robot that I bought in 2006 was right around 30 grand. I remember you telling me that. Um, yeah. And then I used it till 2017, the mm-hmm. same instrument. So they will last for years and years. Mm-hmm. In 2017, I purchased another one. Um, there's different levels of them. But the price can be hefty, but right. it's well worth it. You just touched on uh, drones, and, and one of the reasons that, or one of the things that gave me the idea to get Jay on the show is he was telling me, uh, that he had purchased a survey drone, and um, uh, coincidentally enough, we're working on a development project that we're going to need a topography map for sometime soon. So hopefully, we can get together on that. And uh, Jay sent me the link on this, and it's uh, it's, it's micro drone the right way. That's correct. To it's word a it, micro drone. Uh, what what is this micro drone, and and you know what's so special about it? I've been looking into this the past couple of years, and the cost was a hard 
pill for me to swallow mm-hmm. to get over, but mm-hmm. is just typically your regular type of drone. It's larger than normal drones. It's actually about four feet by four feet once you get the arms spread out and uh-huh. everything attached to it. And uh, it's larger because your payloads are heavier. And what your payload is is the equipment that you mount to the bottom of the drone. Got it. Um, with micro drones, they give you several options of, of what you can use as a payload depending on what you're intending to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they have cameras for photography and video type things, which would be for roofing, that type mm-hmm. of thing. There's a LiDAR camera, and then there's thermal imaging. The LiDAR camera is what we chose because you can use it to create a 3D image, and you can also generate your topography contour lines. Mm-hmm. And that's what we use to provide the civil engineers to, to uh, design the commercial sites. So what is LiDAR? In, in layman's terms, the easiest way to explain it is basically if you have a flashlight and you're shining it in front of you or, or below you, any object that that light lands on or casts the light on, mm-hmm. it records information on that point and stores it. And the information is the coordinates and mm-hmm. the elevation. Mm-hmm. So as that drone flies over, it's basically scanning the ground that's underneath it. And when we take that data and put it in the software to process it, it gives us a 3D image of what we've flown over, and we can combine that with any surveying that we've done on the ground, combine mm-hmm. those together, and provide a um, a point cloud, which is basically has all the point information mm-hmm. on it. We can provide that to the engineer, and he can design his site from that. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about micro drones, and we looked at several different types, micro drones is the only drone that is a in-house, all-in-one mm-hmm. product. So. They build the drone. They do not build the payloads, but the company that builds it builds it specifically for, for micro drones. So okay. it works. It's built to work with that individual drone. They design the software, processing software. Mm-hmm. So instead of having three or four separate parties that you're having to deal with, it's just one single company that you mm-hmm. can call and say, I got this going on. How can you help? They're a German company, right? They are based out of Germany, um, but they have offices here in the state. Oh, good. Uh, I was looking on the About Us part of their website, and uh, it was funny that they said that this whole thing was developed off of a bet, and that uh, it was a you know startup tech company in somebody's basement, and basically two guys who were friends were uh, trying to build the drone, and and the one guy's idea he he had a traditional helicopter design where he had just one blade on top, and then the rear blade that would uh, stabilize it, and uh, I thought it was cool because all the DJI drones, all the drones that I have now are have the four propellers like you have. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy, he pushed and pushed, and he bucked his friend when his friend said it's silly to get a, a four-propeller system out there. And he made him a bet that his four-propeller system would, would fly better than his, you know, helicopter design. <laughs> and uh, that's where the very first quadcopter was born that, you know, most of the, I'd say 90% of the drones have that yeah. same setup mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That is neat. What else can you use a drone for? It can also be used to do power line inspections, bridge inspections. Stuff where a person would have to get a lift, a strap system, you can just fly the drone to it. Yeah, I've seen like conventional way of doing the the power lines is a guy strapped to a string on the bottom of a helicopter. And he's flying around and he lands him on top of these towers. No, thank you. And then the guy climbs down the towers to take pictures and look at everything. And they actually, some of them will actually put a cable system on the power line themselves mm-hmm. and pull themselves oh, on no. the cable from power to power. <laughs> you know, now we can use a drone to do that. There's so many avenues that we can do with it. I'm, I'm interested in contacting not only engineering firms and also, just like you do in your construction field, you're the general contractor of a project and you sub out these mm-hmm. different applications. I'm wanting to offer 
my service to all the other surveyors that do not have this mm-hmm. drone work to save them their crew's time and money. I read where this thing can actually be used to communicate with the grading machine. So I know with my dad's backhoe, he has something that'll tell him the depth and Right, yeah, yeah that's um, that's more along the line of, of GPS, Okay, but you have your GPS receivers on your equipment on ground, and, and you can use the drone to create, basically the 3D image that mm-hmm. you create from it can be used as input information to work right. with these receivers and satellites to do the grading on site. Uh, rock quarries, not only do they have their pit that they're taking right. the stone out of, but as you drive by, you see all these piles of gravel and stone on the whole site. Okay. Well, we can fly over this, and it will separate each pile of stone, and we can create a report for these companies that tells the volume of each pile. And if they give us what type of stone it is, we can calculate how many yards of stone they have there. And if they give us the price per yard, we can also tell them how much money they have sitting on the ground. That's and, and we can do monthly <laughs> reports for them so that they know kind of where they stand. That's and, and on some large con- construction projects, they're moving dirt monthly, and the grader gets paid by how much dirt he moves. So if I flew the site at the beginning of the month and come back at the end of the month and fly, I can compare the two, give them a volume, and that's how that contractor would be paid for his dirt move that month. The one thing you said to me when uh, we started talking about the drone is that this would give you the capability to do what used to take you five days in about 20 minutes. And I think you said with a uh, typical topography map, you would do it, did you say 50 feet by 50 feet uh, blocks? That's right. That's right. Yes. I was really amazed at this. When we were in our training, we went to a site where um, I knew if we did a conventional topo, because this site was a cutover and had been there Uh for probably five or six years, and and it was very dense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that if we did a conventional topo on that, it would take us probably five to eight days to complete Mm -hmm. that. Uh, This flight took us 28 minutes. And then, of course, we had the office processing time to, to generate it. But the, the field time that it saved was just tremendous. And, yes, you're correct. We When we do topo a site, we do it in a 50-foot grid, so you're getting four points per a 50-foot square, unless there's some anomaly within that mm-hmm. square. We locate that also. So you may have 10, 20 points at most mm-hmm. within that 50-foot square. This uh, drone... On that particular site, 38 acres, we could have conventionally had five to 7,000 shots conventionally. With the drone, we had 34 million points located over it. So basically, it's taking you longer to drive to the job site than to do the job. Yes. You said meters, and I'm not, I don't know the meter conversion, but how many points does it? They tell us a good average per square meter, you're getting about 200 points on the ground Uh of information. Hmm. A square meter is. 3.28 3.28 feet by 3.28 feet. Okay. So three and a quarter foot by three yeah. and a quarter foot versus a square yard right. is three foot. By yeah, that's what yard. I was thinking. So right. it is a little difference there, not not much, but. Yeah, you said golf courses, this would be beneficial to them, right? Cause it would, yeah. I would like to, uh, you know, be able to provide a golf course, a 3D image that they could possibly put on their website yeah. for people to go in and, and you can spin it around. You could see oh, how it lies. Yeah. So if you have a golf course, <laughs> go ahead and contact Jay Lowe with Carolina Cornerstone, and he can provide you the most accurate layout of your entire course. That's something you could provide for. Yes. That development, uh, the nine acres that I talked to you about last week, it has a heavy tree cover. And I was going to, I forgot to ask you when we talked, but does the heavy tree cover make a difference? It does some. Um, 
typically your hardwoods and green type vegetation will not affect it much other than something like kudzu Mm -hmm. because it's just so thick and dense it can't penetrate that but most of the time when you're walking through normal woods you see the sunlight on the ground so if you can see that sunlight on the ground that drone is going to pick up Mm -hmm. information have you had any close calls uh maybe wrecking this thing or have you come close to any trees does it have a sensor that'll it does have a sensor yeah it's pretty um it's the os alarm that's right yeah (laughs) yeah it's uh it's pretty stupid proof once you get in the air it's pretty much um you know flies by itself it's so it's self-aware and will eventually Um, hunt us down our trainer told us about uh they were doing a flight in uh, texas Uh and a guy come out and actually shot at it with his (laughs) shotgun oh yeah so um it did hit the drone but they were still able to land it without damaging it so he said their next slogan was going to be the only drone that could be shot yeah bulletproof well i'm telling you it's the other reason why you should have the ability to have a flamethrower and guided missiles on your drone surveyor j-lo of carolina cornerstone thanks for coming in on the carolina contractor show uh visit thecarolinacontractor.com we'll have podcasts up there podcast past shows we've also got links to our youtube page ask the contractor so if you have a question for donnie about your house The top, the bottom, inside, outside, go ahead and click there. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week on the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show, brought to you in part by Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply, supplying everyone from roofing contractors to home builders and everything in between and GAF, roofing shingles and materials. We protect what matters most. Visit thecarolinacontractor.com. Your roof is the most important part of your home. Make sure you're protected with SureTop Roofing. We're locally owned, operated, and have proudly been serving the triangle for the last decade. Plus, we offer a 50-year warranty on our shingles and 10 years on labor. If you're a veteran, ask us about our Roofs for Troops rebate program. Visit SureTopRoofing.com and listen to our weekly radio show at thecarolinacontractor.com. SureTop Roofing, we've got you covered.